Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 20, 1 through 21. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above, or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them, and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ram's horn, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. Okay, so we are in our series on the Ten Commandments, and we are indeed on the last one, the last of the Ten Commandments. So if you were listening to the commandments and you were like, what do some of those mean? We have this thing called a podcast. You can go back and listen to it. A sermon on each commandment, all right? I have enjoyed uh, this series. It's been called Ethics, Ethics for God's People. And it's really been, we've been pondering 
how do we live? What does God want us to do? And, and I think that as we explore the scriptures, we have a lot to work with. But we're focusing on the last commandment, that last commandment, which is do not covet, which is not a word we use a lot, but we're going to get into it. But I got a question for you. Is it wrong to simply want something that is wrong? Ooh, some ethics y'all, y'all thinking, right? <laughs> is it wrong to simply want something that is wrong? You didn't do it, but, but you wanted to. Is that a wrong thing to do? Or how about this? You can be like, I didn't murder him. I just wanted to. Okay, all right. So we feel, okay, well, we got an answer to our question. <laughs> Maybe it's wrong. You know what I mean? You know, because reality, we live, in, we live in a culture that's like, well, as long as you don't act on it, it's all right. Look, don't touch. But actually, I think there's a different standard that, that when put into practice, we all would understand, right? Now, it, it, we, we understand that the, the idea of wanting something wrong, even wanting something wrong, there's something wrong with that. There's an issue in our hearts about that. The problem of sin and evil is not just in the actions. It's not just in the actions we do, but, but it has its root in wrong desires. The problem starts way before it. The words come up out of your mouth or your, your hands do something. It starts way deeper than that. And what we learn is this, is that Jesus has come to deal with the root of sinful desire. Jesus has come to deal with the root of sinful desire. Let's ask his help. Jesus, would you help us to understand your word? Lord God, and, and would you give us a posture of obedience that when we hear what you say, our heart will go, yes, Lord, help us to obey. We want to do what you want us to do. So please open up our ears and let your word sink deep into our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we look at verse 17. That's the subject of the day. Exodus 20, 17, it says, Do not cover your neighbor's house. Do not cover your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The point of the matter is coveting or desiring wrong things, things that are not yours, coveting is the root of all sin. Coveting is the root of all sin. Now, again, coveting is wrong or prohibited desires. So that the problem is not with wanting good things. The things listed above, they're not wrong things, right? Hopefully you want a house. I hope you do. I mean, like some y'all want, want a spouse? I mean, now the servant thing, I want you to think more like employee. That's, that's more uh, congruent of what's being talked about here. But, but you want a means of making income? An ox or a donkey, we don't have oxes and donkeys, but that's like your tools, you like a hammer or whatever. You want a means to make your income? Like the things in of themselves are not wrong things. Love, family, property, means of gaining income. We all should want those things. Those are proper desires. But the issue comes when we want things through the wrong means. All right? So if we go back into the commandments, let's take the one. Let's take stealing, right? So, so, so the, the issue of stealing, it doesn't just, you don't just accidentally steal something. It starts in your heart. Or you can go back to the commandment on adultery. You don't just accidentally commit adultery. It starts in the heart. So God's actually showing us something here. Listen, all the things that would be a detriment to us 
we have to address way before the action comes. But there is a desire that needs to be addressed. So when we want those good things through wrong means, that's, that's an issue, right? Wanting someone else's things another steal. Or how about this? Sometimes we get want too much of a good thing. That's, that's a possibility, right? Like, I think you all would like to have a good reputation, right? I mean, I hope so. You would like others to think well of you, but, but what if that becomes the all-encompassing desire of your life? Then that gets, that gets crooked. You start doing things that are ethically, eh, I don't know about all that. Or, or when we want bad things that we mistakenly think will satisfy us. Yeah? That's the issue with all addiction. On the front end, you're like, I need this. It's going to make me feel happy. But on the back end, there's regret. All of these are symptoms and illustrations, the working out of what coveting or desiring the wrong things looks like. And coveting is the root of all the sin. Now, when you look at the Ten Commandments, you can kind of divide them into two halves. You got the first half. And that's talking about your relationship with God. And then you got the second half, and that's talking about your relationship with other people. So actually, coveting is the root of all the sins in the Ten Commandments. Like the first one, it says, you should have no other gods beside me. So we wrongly think that we can find ultimate joy and satisfaction through God, an idea, or a desire, instead of through Christ. The root cause is that I want something other than him. Or when he says, do not make idols. Listen, listen, we think that we are wiser than God and want to worship him the way we want instead of how he commanded. Yeah? How many times is me and Jesus, me and Jesus? That's not what he said. He didn't say, you follow me. He said, y'all follow me. We worship together. Or how about this? Do not misuse the name of the Lord. Listen, we call out to other things for help instead of God. We don't think our desires will be satisfied in him, that we can, he can provide us real help. Or how about that? Remember the Sabbath. We allow the desires of other things to crowd out the importance of worshiping God on the Lord's day with his people. See, the, the issue is that we love and esteem other things higher than God. So it's not simply that, that, that you made a legal infraction, if you will. You didn't simply break an outward external law. But there's something in your heart that's going on. And again, this, this covenant, it's, it's the root of all the sins against others. That's the second half of the Ten Commandments. So, so when he says, honor your father and your mother, so listen, the fact is we love autonomy more than submitting to God giving our authority. I, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to do what you want me to do. Right? Or, or do not murder. We desire to hate or harm someone because they took something or threatened to take something that we love away. You see, that's rooted in the desires. It says, do not commit adultery. We desire sexual intimacy outside of the safeguards that God has provided. Root, desire. We still, we desire something that belongs to someone else. That give false testimony. We desire our own good above the truthful testimony about someone else. See, what I love about this commandment is is, is God just outlines, hey, this is how you should live live a good life. And he goes, hey, let let me tell you, like, at the root of all this, how you can really govern what you do is paying attention to what you want. That's how you can govern what you do. He's so loving that he would warn us about the root of sin. 
that he would help us do a, a spiritual diagnosis, if you will. See, we must deal with the heart and our desires. It's not simply what you do. It's what you love. That's what determines what you do. Now, a lot of times we can look at the, the, the commands of God and, and, and we, we have it a bit twisted because we could say, well, man, I better do these things so that God loves me, is pleased with me, whatever, whatever. But I saw your face when I was listing these things out. If that's true, we all kind of messed up, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, let's just keep it 100. I don't know. I didn't, one of them things I didn't want it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, we all kind of messed up. But listen, listen. The commands of God are not rooted in us earning God's favor, but they're rooted in his relational love with his people. In other words, he has already established a relationship. We are not seeking to earn something, but we're working from a position that we already have. In Ephesians 5, the other verse says, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. It doesn't say be imitators of God so you can be, but because you are. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Now, if we go all the way back to Exodus 20, which is where the Ten Commandments are given, if you pay real attention, he says something really important before he starts listing out the commandments. Before he started listing out the commandments, he, he says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. That means, it's like he's saying, I have committed to you before you committed to me. Yeah? I saved you before you did something to earn it. I didn't, like, like the people weren't like, see, I'm doing really good. If you pay really attention to the people of Israel, there never is a point where they're just like doing awesome, right? It's, it's not like they're like, 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 like moral superstars, okay? <laughs> like, like they're failing the test left and right. Nonetheless, nonetheless, before they even I have an opportunity for a test, God says, I hear your cry and I'm going to rescue you. Before you did something, and that's similar to what Jesus has done, is it not? We were reminded that God has adopted us as his very own children. He is not calling us to earn our entrance into God's family. That's not what he's calling us to do. According to, to Ephesians 5, he didn't say, hope you're children of God, or maybe you work really hard. No, you are. You have been granted entrance into this family because of Christ. You didn't have to earn it. You didn't work for it. And then in verse 2, we are reminded of that beautiful sacrifice that demonstrated that God loved us before we had done anything. In verse 2, it says, as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant, it means it smell good, fragrant offering to God. We were reminded that the, of the beautiful sacrifice that demonstrated that God loved us before we had done anything. He's not calling us to purchase our salvation. Jesus already paid a pleasing price. We don't, we don't have to work that up. And what he is getting at is the motivation for godly living is not so that you could earn God's favor. Because if you are in Christ, you already have it. It has been purchased for you. And so when you hear the law, when you hear the moral law, and you begin to feel this tinge of fear, like, oh, no, 
you can tell that you might not understand the grace of God. Because it's not given to you simply as a threat. It's given to you as an invitation. This is a good way to live. This is a fruitful way to live. The reality is, 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 is if one, let's say, let's say if nobody believed in God, I hope that's not the case, let's say we didn't, but if people just like, let's just say they obey the commandments about other people, would, would it go well? People not murdering people and cheating and all, like, it, it would be, it would be pretty all right, you know what I'm saying? Like, like he said, listen, I have given you a path of life, and my commandments are not a burden, but they are a path of joy and delight and life. It is even the commands themselves, get, get this, the commands are not the way to access a gift. The commands are a gift themselves that we would understand the path in which we should walk. See, see, the motivation for loving God and obeying God is understanding his love for us. That's the motivation. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love because... He first loved us, right? The, the ground of our obedience, the ground of our, our spiritual life, the foundation is not ourselves, are not even our first act. It's the fact that God acted on our behalf before we had a say in the matter. His love is the motivating factor. Now, one of the things I've sought to do in this, in this series is, is to demonstrate how how God's commands are not antiquated. They're not, they're not just something for another time, but they have present tense application. And, and if, you, if you pay attention, if you're, if you're listening to people, they're kind of like, well, God, the Bible's outdated and, you know, we don't do that stuff anymore. But, but listen, when, when Paul is talking about how to obey God in verses 3 and 4 of Ephesians 5, he actually points back to the Ten Commandments as a standard. Verse 3, but sexual immorality... And any impurity or greed should not even be heard from among you. Where did he get that from? Where he got that from? He ain't just pull it out. He's looking back to the commands. He's not making up a new standard. He's not saying the New Testament is here, so it's whatever. He's saying, no, no, he's, he's going back to the moral commands. Then it says obscene and foolish talking or crude joking or not. Seen. What is he talking about? Remember that sermon last week about, about your speech. He's not just making these things up. He's saying that the standards that were laid down are still the standards. There's not a new one. And here's the crazy thing. In the Old Testament, we already have established that the standards were not given as a means of entrance into God's kingdom, right? Because Exodus 20, they, he had already saved them, right? Here are the commands. And Christ has already saved us. Here are the commands. He does not discard, Apostle Paul does not discard the moral law. So I need to review. Let's review for a minute. Why, we need to talk about, because you'll hear this a lot, though. people will they'll try to find contradictions in the Old Testament or, or laws that seem strange or arbitrary as a means to discard our faith. So listen, put your thinking cap on, okay? What? Okay. There are three types of laws in the Old Testament. All right. There's the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. I'm going to explain each in kind. The civil law, it's, it's not applicable anymore because it was to God's people as a nation. Like, like tax laws and things like that. I don't know about, about this, but we don't, all, there's a lot of Christians in the world, they don't all live in Israel anymore, okay? 
like, like, like the, the moral, the, the, the civil law doesn't apply because God's kingdom is not made up of a physical kingdom. It's of another uh, kind. And so, so the civil law, the ones about the, about, about the policies and the punishments, all the things that you would think about, how do you govern a state? Those laws, they were, they were for the governing of the state and the uniqueness of Israel, but they don't apply anymore, not, not because it didn't matter at the time, but because God's people, they're not a nation state. They are people made of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Yeah? Now, the reality is this, is, is, that, is that our obedience to Christ will still make us unique, which is what the civil law points to. Or we have the cer- ceremonial law. The laws about sacrifices and priests and temples. Oh, why, why don't we do that anymore? Is it arbitrary? No, no. It revealed our need for cleansing and forgiveness and atonement. How do we get that, y'all? Through Christ. They, were not, they weren't done away with. They were fulfilled. They weren't arbitrary, but they showed our need for forgiveness and cleansing. And so that leaves us with the moral law. The ones that don't have to do with governing a society and the ones that don't have to do with the ceremony and from the new testament from the passage we just looked at those are still binding those still matter because they reflect the character of god and they still do and so paul he he lays out this idea that loving god is expressed in obeying his commands and you're like which ones the moral ones we don't need to go build a temple. Jesus has, has taken care of that for us. But we don't need to be murdering people. Okay? <laughs> so when you separate it, it's not arbitrary. It's not, it's not confusing. It actually makes sense. And all of the law, in one way or another, points to Christ, who is the fulfillment of that law. Now, we see in the, the, the rest of verse 4, he says, Obscene and foolish talk and accrued joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. In other words, Gratitude is the opposite of desiring what we should not. If we would cultivate a grateful heart to God, that would help us stand against the lies of sin. What does sin do? Sin goes, you don't have what you need. You need to take it. Go take it. You know, you, you, whatever you have, it's not, it's not enough. So you need to go do something, say something to take this joy that you don't seem to have. But the reality, gratitude says that God has already given me good things and that I can be satisfied in him. And, and, and a heart that has cultivated this practice of gratitude, and it is less likely to fall into sin and desires that the apostle Peter says are deceitful. If you would actively cherish what you have, you would appreciate what you have more. You know, I love, uh, one of the things I love to do as a pastor, I get to meet with people and just talk to them about Jesus. It's really cool. I can talk to people about Jesus here and throughout the week. It's just a good privilege. But we were talking about, uh, I was with a brother, and we talked about this uh, verse in Psalm 16. In Psalm 16, 5 and 6, it says, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. Verse 6, the boundary lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What the psalmist is saying, he's like, the, the property that I got, the gates of my property lines as well, is good. What the Lord has given me is good. He has satisfied me with his very presence. And what he has given me 
my family, my friends, the, the stuff, all the things that he has given me. It's good. He is just, it's like he's pausing for a minute and going, let me just, let me just take stock for what has he given me? Oh, it's pleasant. It's not just pleasant. It's beautiful. Man, that, that's how you cultivate some gratitude. That's, that's the opposite, if you will, of coveting. Saying, Lord, what have you given me? And how can I appreciate it? And when we go on to verse 5 in Ephesians 5, we realize that coveting, our desiring sinful things, it reveals not just wrong desires, but idolatry in the heart. In verse 5, it says, For know and recognize this, every sexual or immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater. I just want to stop right there. So he's just starting naming all these sins. And he's like, another way to say this is that they're an idolater. Is what he's saying. Listen, the scripture shows that the root of desiring what we ought not is the desire of idolatry. In that catechism that we take our kids through, uh, it, it kind of defines idolatry. It says, idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance and security. So, so it's not simply that we have a plan for our future, but that we put our, all of our hope in it. It's not simply that we are angry at someone, but that our significance is in our reputation and not in God. It's not simply that we want that new tech, that new product, but that we have trusted in it for our happiness. It's not simply that we are dishonest in business dealings, but that we put our trust in financial security. The created thing that we put our hope and trust, our significance in, if it is not God, it will end up in sin. So again, it's not just the, the breaking of abstract commands. It's what do I love? What do I trust in? Where do I find my significance? Now, here's something else, though. What's interesting is everything that I desire, everything that I just named out, like wanting a good reputation or, listen, I like, I like new tech, too. I mean, wanting to have financial security, none of that's bad in of itself but it's not ordered properly. The hierarchy of value is off, if you will. See, see the way that we, we battle our false desires is, is not getting rid of all desires, but making sure that they are ordered in significance and priority properly. See, see I, idolatry helps us frame the real problem of sin. Sin is not that we have desires, but that the priority of our desires is wrong. So y'all know sometimes I like to quote church fathers, so I'm about to do one again. This is Augustine. This is what he says. He talks about this problem of disordered desires. He says, greed, for example, is not something wrong with gold. The fault lies in a man who perversely loves gold and for its sake abandons justice. Lust is not something wrong in a beautiful and attractive body. The fault is in a soul who perversely delights in sensual pleasures. The point of the matter is this, that the desire for created things in and of themselves is not the wrong thing. It's that the order, the hierarchy of value is off. So, so sin is the perversion of a right desire. That's what makes it so tricky. God has made us in his image and creation 
is for our good, but we begin with a good desire, but sin morphs it into a wrong one. And we take the material of creation and we make it ultimate. In other words, our desires must be ordered by a chief or a primary desire. And that desire must be love for God and obedience to him. If that is my chief desire, the other desires work themselves out in priority. We can see this lived out in the life of Jesus. He demonstrated, Jesus demonstrated in his life the importance and the path of rightly ordered desire. We can look at his temptation. When Jesus was uh, 40, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, Matthew 4 says, after he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Is that not an understatement? <laughs> he was hungry, okay? Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Listen, was he hungry? Yes. Is being hungry a sin? No, no. But listen, his right and good desire for being hungry is not submitted to God. That would have been sin. But he looked at this desire of being hungry, which I'm sure he was very hungry. But he says, but my desire to love and obey God in this moment is higher than that desire and that need for food. He was hungry, but he desired to obey God more. Our, our, one of my favorite passages, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's praying before he's crucified, says, Jesus said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And we, we actually talked about this passage uh, last Wednesday in our student ministry, and we kind of asked this question. I said, have you ever felt the weight of guilt and shame? Everybody's, I didn't know what they were going to say. Okay, y'all, y'all feel guilty sometimes. Okay, cool. We can work with that, you know? <laughs> and, and I said, I said, well, imagine if you, if you were going to feel the, the weight of guilt and shame of everybody in this room. And our eyes got real big. And I said, well, imagine if you were going to feel the weight of guilt and shame of everybody in South Carolina. Because like, oh, dog. Imagine if you were going to feel the weight of guilt and shame of every person ever created. That is what Jesus is staring down. That's what he's staring down. So when he says, he says, and going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What's the cup? That cup of the weight of the guilt and shame for the sins of the whole world. Let it pass. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Listen, Jesus feared death. And y'all, death is scary. Let's not, be, let's not be super spiritual. And listen, we don't like feeling, if we cannot feel guilt and shame, wouldn't you want not to feel it? The desi- See, his desires in that moment, they're not wrong in and of themselves. But in that moment, he had to order them properly. He knew the way of death, sin. Guilt and shame. And he knew that that was a fearful thing. But he desired to obey God more. You see that? One more example from Jesus' life. In John 10, 18, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command of my father. And y'all need to understand this. He filtered every single desire 
through the primary desire of love and obedience to the Father. He had complete control to do whatever he wanted to do. That's the craziest thing. We like to do a lot of stuff, but we don't have the ability. He, he did have the ability to do whatever he wanted to do. But nonetheless, he submitted all of his desires to the chief desire of loving God. So he, he really is the only one who wasn't a, an idolater, if you will. And if you go back to, to Ephesians, if you go back to Ephesians 5, it says something that, that if, if you pay attention, it's kind of scary. It says, for know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now today, we have established something. That reality, we're all idolaters. There's something scary in this verse if you take it seriously. But the good news is that the one, the only one who was not an idolater, died in our place to forgive our sin. Listen, listen. He died so covetous idolaters could enter the kingdom. I want you to see his love. He had this dual love, and it's, it's ironic because he obeyed his own command. He said the greatest command is to love the Lord God with all your heart, so mind, strength, love your neighbor yourself. He loved God through obedience, but beloved, he loved us through that same obedience. And because he loved us, he got up on the cross, and he suffered the fate that should have belonged to us because of his great love. He rose from the dead, and he offers us forgiveness. So listen, I do hope you felt some of the weight of sin, but I hope more that you would feel the grace that Jesus has for you today. He knows the idolatry of your heart more than you do. And nonetheless, he says, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take the consequence, and I'm going to offer forgiveness. That's the good news of the gospel. And, but here, here we are still battling with sinful desires. So, so how do we challenge those, right? We still got some desires that if we was honest, like, oh, that's, I, I want that. I don't want that. I want that. Not great. <laughs> you know, like, the, the reality is that we have to look to Christ in the gospel to challenge and to change our sinful desires. Listen, the more that you look at the grace of God in Christ, the, lay, the less savory sin is. Because you see the beauty of his love, his mercy, and the joy that can be found in him far surpasses any joy that is deceitful and fleeting. But we can go, oh man, he loves me. He cares, he died for me. He, he has my whole future in his hands and for eternity I will be with him. Tell me that won't change your desires as you would meditate on that. One of the things I love, too, is, is this is going to sound super, super simple, but y'all, we got to pray. Some, sometimes, let's be, sometimes my prayer is, Lord, I want that. Could you make me not want it? <laughs> you ever, could, let's just keep it real. I want that. But I'm, I'm going to be honest, Lord. I want that thing that I know I shouldn't want. But, but could you help me not want? Listen, listen, that's the same. When, when, when Jesus was, was uh, going to, to heal uh, a man's son who was demon-possessed, he, he looked at him and said, do you believe? And, I, and his, his statement was, I believe, but can you help me? <laughs> I believe. Help my unbelief. What are you saying? I know I should believe. I know I should desire. And I need you to help me. 
Let's just be that real in prayer. What do you think it means when it says, deliver us from evil? Some of that's your own. Change my desires, Lord, please. And beloved, over time, he does. He does. And lastly, he gives us these, these holy habits of grace. That if we could dedicate ourselves to putting the word of God in front of us, of praying, of being with God's people, those 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 things that seem really simple and redundant, but if done consistently over time, the Lord uses it to change your desires from that which was against him to that which was for him. So we have reason to praise today because Jesus Christ rescues us from the consequences and the causes of sinful desires. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much for your mercy. Lord, you know the depth of our sin and our idolatry even more than we do. And that did not revulse you. It, 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 you pushed nearer and closer to us in love. And we just thank you. We thank you for your love, Jesus. That you died in our place and you receive us today. And you don't have a hint of regret. You're not looking at us with, with any kind of side eye. Lord, you look at us with such love and compassion because you have made us a part of your family. So let us run to you, not fearing punishment because it has been placed on the cross, but expecting only a joyful embrace. Lord, we praise you that you have saved us, you have forgiven us, and even now, Lord, you are changing us. We give you glory. Amen.